Thank you for such a kind introduction. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Um, I am not a stranger to the open table. Um, I've been here a few times. Um, I was uh, here a little more frequently in the beginning, um, a few years back, when things were getting started. Um, and this is a place that uh, I feel very welcome in and very much at home, so it's so good to be here. And I'm also very happy to be here um, in part because earlier today, actually most of my day, I spent at home hosting um, a Harry Potter book film club for seven first and second grade <laughs> girls. <laughs> and it was, um, was life-affirming. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, I have two daughters. One is eight years old and one is six. And um, I, uh, we, this year we read the first Harry Potter book. I had been saving myself. I hadn't read them. And um, I remember um, when the books came out and they were so popular and even a lot of my friends were reading them. I'm like, why are you reading kids' books? Um, but they were raving about these books. And, uh, and then, you know, years passed by and I got married and I thought, well, maybe one day if I have kids, we'll read these books together. It'll be an awesome thing we do. And of course, um, our daughter turned eight and we thought she's probably old enough for this. So they got the first Harry Potter book for Christmas. And on Christmas morning, you know, they opened it. I hate Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, my heart was crushed. I've been saving myself for you and for this book. And that's life. That is life. Um, so here are a few things that I know about this community that I wanted to just check and make sure that I've got it right. Um, I know this is an intentional community. Yeah. Um, I know this is a, a welcoming community, an open and embracing and affirming community. Um, I know this is a community that does very important work, that does the work of social justice and education and awareness and allyship and um, anti-racism training such important work. Am, am I getting it right so far? Um, and so this is a good place for me to be tonight. I'm happy to be here. And um, the topic on the, on the program tonight says calm abiding in community. So you might think, what does that have to do with, with the work of justice, with the work of peace, with the work of racial reconciliation? Um, Quite a lot, as it turns out. And so I hope tonight, um, as we spend this time together, I hope it will be uh, a gift for you. Um, because one thing that I have found as I move in white spaces, as I move in groups and work in communities that are involved in the work of bringing about peace and justice, is that it is absolutely essential to take care of ourselves. Um, we talk about self-care, right? I'm sure that you, this is something that is familiar to you, self-care. Um, so important. Um, there's a saying in my tradition, you know, you can't pour water out of an empty cup. 
So how do we keep going? How do we keep doing this work? How do we care for ourselves so that we can continue to go out in our communities and effect change? We must begin with ourselves. Um, there are two principles that are basically the foundation of Buddhism, which is the tradition to which I belong. Uh, and they are compassion and wisdom. If you know anything, if you remember anything about Buddhism, let it be that. Compassion and wisdom. That is the foundation. Compassion alone is not enough. And wisdom alone is not enough. But together, uh, bringing about the union of these skillful means of wisdom and compassion. That is how we move toward awakening, toward uh, Buddha nature. And so we do that by beginning with ourselves. Compassion and wisdom begin with ourselves. Yeah. And this is, this is very, it can be very shocking for us Westerners. It feels selfish. It feels self-centered. You mean begin, focus on myself? No, I'm supposed to focus on other people. Um, but that's the way it works. You know, we must begin with ourselves. So if it's okay with you, then I want to talk a little bit about this practice of calm abiding. Is that okay? Yeah, good. Otherwise, I wouldn't, don't know what I would do. That'd be, weird. <laughs> be very awkward very quickly. <laughs> Shamatha is the Sanskrit word, shamatha. I, I like that word. Um, and as with so many other religious traditions, a lot gets lost in the translation of these terms. Uh, when we move from the original languages into our own language, when we move from ancient languages, uh, uh, languages that are no longer in use, that our own language of this present day, um, sometimes some nuance gets lost. But the closest and uh, perhaps most accurate um, translation that we have for shamatha is calm abiding. I like that. Uh, I like pairing those two words, calm abiding. Dwelling in calm. Resting in calm. Abiding in calm. And that is the practice of shamatha, calm abiding. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> Very simple, but not easy. Um, this is what the Buddha found when he went away on his journey, um, seeking awakening, seeking liberation from this cyclic existence, from perpetual suffering. Um, and he found that calm abiding. Um, and for me, this is a way that I stay replenished and energized, that I can go out and continue doing the work by resting in this calm abiding. But it's not just that. What we are trying to do in this practice is to get in touch with our own Buddha nature. And from the Buddhist perspective, all of us have Buddha nature. It's not something that you're trying to reach or get to or attain at some point in the future, it's something that is already inherent in us. It's already there. So we talk about uncovering it rather than attaining it. 
So we uncover this Buddha nature. And from our perspective, all of us have it. You have it. And we begin to uh, approach this Buddha nature by resting in our mind's natural state, which is calm abiding. There is a, there is a French philosopher, um, Simone Weil, and there is a quotation of hers that I love so much. And I want to share it with you because I think it really speaks to the truth of this practice and to a lot of what we do in, in meditative practice. And here's what she said. She said, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. You know how you feel when somebody is paying attention to you. Yes, can you imagine that? Can you, can you bring that feeling about and kind of feel it? Maybe you feel it in your chest. You feel warm. You feel acknowledged, seen, recognized, paid attention to. It's a wonderful feeling. The rarest and purest form of generosity, attention. And attention is really uh, in high demand and in low supply these days. Right? We have so many demands for our attention. And that's just the way it is. We live in a busy world. We all have busy lives, responsibilities and obligations and interests and things that we want to do and things that we have to do. And we are, our attention is split in a thousand directions. And so the practice of calm abiding is the practice of focusing our attention. When we teach meditation at the Rimei Center, we, it's, it, we like to talk about how, um, how busy our mind is. Right? Our mind is always, always working and overworking. We have so many demands for our attention. There's this word that, that we like to use, all of us, and some of us even put it on our resumes. We're very, very proud of it. Right? We can pay attention to a lot of things at once. And we call it, there's a word for it. Do you know what it is? What do we call that? Multitasking. You know what science calls it? Bullshit. <laughs> There's no such thing as multitasking. Seriously, you can read the journals. It's, it's science. Our mind can only truly ever pay attention to one thing at a time. What we think of as multitasking is actually, in, in the terminology, um, Rapid switching, right? It's rapid switching, switching from one thought to the next, switching from one task to the next, back and forth, back and forth, back. It's no wonder we're exhausted all the time. It's no wonder we are so stressed. We're, we're in overdrive, and our, our mind, our brain doesn't work that way. It can only hold one thought at a time. That's attention. And so in the practice of shamatha, what we are trying to do is to allow our mind to focus on one thing. It's giving our mind a break. Right? You know, like when you go to the gym and you work out, you can't work out all day, right? At some point, you have to stop. At some point, you have to stop and stretch and rest. 
And sometimes if you're a very avid uh, what, gym goer, what, I don't know what you call yourself. <laughs> you have to have rest days, right? You have designated rest days because your body needs to rest, to recover. Well, our, our mind does too. It needs to rest and recover. And that is shamatha, calm abiding. But here's the thing. And here's something I've learned recently. And, and I'm going to get a, a little bit real because this is a little embarrassing for me. I've been practicing meditation for a long time now. And I only realized in the last couple of years that I've kind of been doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm over it now. <laughs> a lot of us in our Western tradition, in our Western culture, particularly if we are raised with a, part, a certain kind of theology or perspective, we are very dissociated from our bodies. Mm. We're very dissociated from our bodies. And that's exactly what I did when I found meditation. It's like, oh, I like this. It's all about the mind. I don't have to bother with my body. I hate my body anyway. It's all about the mind. And man, was I wrong. You know what the Buddha said? That there is no enlightenment outside of the body. From a Buddhist perspective, mm -hmm. if there is liberation to be attained, it happens through the body and in the body. And for the longest time... Um, if you will abide with me, it'll, it'll just be a couple minutes of confession time. Um, but for the longest time, I kept working so hard and working and working and sitting on my cushion and like, I really need to focus on my mind, focus on my mind. And my legs would fall asleep and I would fall asleep. <laughs> um, and it's all about the mind, all about the mind. And I was so wrong. And I only realized this when one of my teachers, one of my very dear teachers said, you need to pay attention to your body. Your body is always present. And what that means is literally your body is always in the present. Your body cannot be in the past or in the future, and it can't be anywhere else but here and now. I know it doesn't sound like much, but it just blew my mind. Because all this time, that's exactly what I had been trying to get my mind to do, to be present. You know what it's like, right? Uh, most of the time, you're either regretting something you did yesterday or didn't do, nervous about something you said or something you forgot, or anxious about tomorrow or next week. So. In our mind, we're always either in the past or in the future. So I sit to meditate. I'm like, okay, I need to get my mind to be here in the present. And it's hard. It's very hard. I start to practice. I start to focus on my breath. Before I know it, uh, I'm already clinging to wandering thoughts and discursive thinking and all of these distractions. It's like, oh, oh bring my attention back to the present. I'm in the present. I'm in the present. And my body does it naturally. All this time, all these years that I've been hating my body for being imperfect, for being uh, not what I think it should be, 
my body has been doing naturally. The one thing I've been trying to get my mind to do, to be here and to be now. Uh, at the table where I was sitting and having conversation, somebody mentioned Ramdas. Um, I'm sure some of you know this name, Baba Ramdas, wonderful teacher. He's been around for a while, and he wrote a, a, like a best-selling book. It's called Be Here Now. Some of you maybe have read it. And one of the things he does in, in his teachings is he'll ask people, where are you? And they'll say, okay, where are you? You can say it. <laughs> Here. And then he'll say, when are you? Yeah. Remember that. That's embodiment. Remember that you're here, and remember that you're now. So all these years, my body has been doing this naturally. And I've been too focused on getting my mind to do it that I have forgotten to care for my body, to be present in my body. Now, a lot of us experienced, have experienced trauma in our bodies. So sometimes our bodies are not safe. Sometimes it's not a safe place to be. And so this is not easy for everybody or for all of us. And it may be harder for some of us. But this is the work that we do in this practice of meditative contemplation, of attention. We are attentive to our body and we are attentive to our mind. And the way we do that is through our breath. So, now for the last couple of years, I've been working on trying to be a little more embodied in my practice. And uh, it turns out that here, science also has a lot to say. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, a few weeks, uh, no, a few months ago, I attended a workshop. Um, uh, Nick mentioned that I'm a, a chaplain. Um, and so, with my cohort, we attended a workshop that was um, training for working with trauma patients, patients who are um, recovering from trauma or a traumatic event. Um, and this was a wonderful workshop um, led by a psychologist who's trained in neuroscience, um, really impressive background, a lot of really uh, new research. Um, and she works primarily with people who have PTSD. Um, but, you know, the truth is that all, most people have some sort of trauma. We've all experienced some sort of trauma, um, and some to a higher degree than others, but um, we have all had uh, experiences or circumstances that are not safe, that are harmful, that are violent. And so to some degree, we all experience and have experienced some sort of trauma. So this was a really useful workshop because a lot of the patients that I work with um, are recovering or working through trauma. And what she did is she has written this book, and it's called The Trauma Toolbox. And it's filled with interventions or exercises or approaches to helping people in trauma. And I start looking through this book, and it's really a wonderful resource. Um, all of these interventions that are uh, backed by uh, research, um, by science, a whole bunch of citations, um, the DM, DSM, uh, you know, the manual for psychology and psychiatry is, is cited in every single exercise, and about half of them 
are guided meditations. And I'm, I know these things. This is what I've been taught for these, all these years. And she even said it, right? Um, and so, well, you know, I really don't need science to validate my religious beliefs or convictions, but it sure doesn't feel bad when it does. <laughs> and so here's what she's teaching us. These, this is the way we begin to heal, the way we begin to recover. We need to do the work from the ground up, bottom up, before we do top down, before we go into more, you know, talk therapy sort of work, which is absolutely important. But we must first be in our bodies. And so that's how we begin our practice of shamatha. So I asked if tonight we could have cushions for people who might want to, to sit on the floor. But the truth is you can practice this in any seated position. Um, if you're in a chair or uh, in a recliner or on the floor, on a cushion, um, it doesn't really make much difference. It's whatever is most comfortable to you. And this practice uh, is accessible and available to all. So if you have uh, you know, accessibility needs, I want you to know that you don't have to do the things that you are seeing. And, and really, you don't have to do any of this. This is all optional. Um, so please feel comfortable uh, and make yourself comfortable in the space where you're seated. Um, so are you interested in trying this? Yes. <laughs> wow, I heard a very resounding definite yes. I like that enthusiasm. Even after you've had dinner, you're, you're ready to, to do this. With these dim lights and comfortable seats and full stomachs. This will be fun. <laughs> I brought props. This is my magic bowl. You can buy it for $99.99 on my website. Just kidding, I don't have a website. <laughs> I'll sell it to you anyway, though, if you want. There's so many applications that you can get on your phone. So I'm sure a lot of you have already been practicing meditation. This is the first thing I like to say about meditation is that Buddhism did not invent meditation. And Buddhism does not own it. Buddhism does not have the copyright or the trademark on meditation. Meditation was around for, for centuries before the Buddha came along. So, and in most religious traditions, there, there are con contemplative practices that are very much like meditation. So um, that's why I say this is really, anybody can do this. Uh, this is not necessarily a, a doctrinal or dogmatic or religious practice. So I hope you'll feel comfortable. Um, and there are a lot of applications that have really awesome, like different bell sounds you can choose and customize. So that's really great and really fun. Um, I really like this one. I thought it looked cool, so I bought it. Um, there's nothing really special or magical about it. Um, so. The first thing we want to do is be in our body. So why don't you take a little stretch um, if you want to. And we carry so much tension, right? If you practice yoga, you know about this already. You can maybe teach us a little bit more. But um, especially as we are about to begin our week, you know, this is a nice thing to do. Um, so maybe relax your shoulders a little bit. Find a comfortable seated posture. Um, if you look at image, if you've seen images of the Buddha, you will see that he is seated or she, because we have female Buddhas as well. We have, uh, there isn't, there's more than one Buddha. Um, so they are usually seated in full lotus or padmasana. You don't have to do that, okay? We don't, this should not hurt. This should be the opposite of, of pain. 
Um, so whatever is comfortable, cross-legged is just fine. Uh, or like my daughter say, crisscross applesauce. That's totally fine. Um, in calm abiding, as we teach it uh, in our tradition, um, there's a couple of things, a couple of indications that we follow. And some of this is really, the idea is that we're being very mindful, intentional, that there's purpose behind what we're doing. So we're going to be engaged with our body. We're going to be working with our body, right? We're going to find stillness in our body. Um, and so we, you want to kind of sit a little bit upright, not you know, pushing your chest out so much that it's weird and funny looking, but, but you know, engaged, um, active. Um, and our shoulders are relaxed. What do we do with our hands? Um, you can just rest your hands on your knees. You've probably seen really beautiful and elaborate hand gestures. They're called mudras. We're not going to do any of that tonight. That's fancy work that we don't need to get into right now. Very meaningful fancy work, I should say, but not for, for right now. Um, so we just rest our hands on our knees. Um, so our gaze is kind of slightly down. You're, you're following uh, the line of your nose, right? So if there's a spot ahead of you, maybe four or five feet ahead of you, that's where you're kind of focusing your eyes and your attention, uh, visual attention. And in this practice, our mouth is slightly open. And then you, you this is, this is the, the funny part. You take the tip of your tongue and you press it to the top of your mouth right behind your front two teeth. Um, I asked the teacher, why do we do this? This feels kind of weird. And he said, that's just so you won't drool if you fall asleep. <laughs> I think he was pulling my leg. Um, again, these are in intentional things. And when you go deeper into Vajrayana or tantric practices, there are really important, uh, there's a lot of significance behind the, the places where we are focusing, where we are putting pressure and those kinds of things. But for tonight, it's just a way for us to focus our attention. Again, everything we're doing is a way of helping us, aids and resources and tools, and helping us focus our attention. Um, oftentimes, shamatha is also called single-pointed focus. So that's what we do with our mouth. And our chin is slightly tucked in. And that's about it for the posture. Now your eyes can be open or closed, whatever is comfortable for you. Um, a lot of times we try to practice as much as we can with our eyes open because this is a reminder uh, for some of us that meditation is not a way to escape. We're not trying to get away from things. We're trying to be more present. We're trying to be here and now. So sometimes having our eyes open helps. Mm -hmm. We're here, we're in this space. So the first thing we're going to do now that you are in this posture is I'm going to ring the bowl, the bell, and just listen to that. Pay, pay attention. Uh, try to focus your attention to the sound of the bowl and see how long you can hear it. Um, and then we'll come back to, to our group.
place to hear it. I can't hear it anymore. Let's take a deep breath and come bring your attention back into our group. Some people have really, um, really good hearing. <laughs> My daughter found this app on the phone where there's this pitch and she can alter the pitch and then there's a pitch that I can't hear anymore but they can hear. Um, it's kind of fun for them. Um, this is a really good thing to do also with children. Get a bowl like this and say, let's, let's play a game. Let's see who can hear this the longest. But using a bowl like this or a bell or whatever a sound it is, it's a different experience to focus our attention just on one thing intentionally. What was that like? Anybody want to share? Anything you want to share about your experience listening to this bowl? Not all at once. That's different? Okay. So when we practice shamatha as a beginner, um, and really for a long time, forever you can practice shamatha, the focus of our attention is our breath. I mentioned earlier that that's how we kind of connect mind and body. So our breath becomes the bridge between mind and body. And we focus on our breath for a number of reasons. One is very practical. As long as we're on this side of the earth, our breath is always with us, right? It's very portable. It, it goes with us everywhere we go. Um, most of the time, we're, we don't even notice it, right? We only notice it when we struggle with it. Mm. Um, so our breath is always with us, and so we focus on it for that reason. Another thing is our breath really tells us a lot about what our emotions are doing. Yeah, what's your breath like when you're really anxious or afraid or angry? Mm. Hmm? Shallow, fast, yeah. Very short and very fast, <laughs> like that, right? What, what's your breath like when you're on Playa del Carmen on the beach with the margarita and enjoying the sun <laughs> and listening to the waves? What's your breath like then? Effortless. Yeah, it's effortless. It's long, relaxing. It kind of starts to match the rhythm of the waves. A teacher once said, you know, um, our breaths are counted. So make sure they're long. <laughs> I like that. So our breath tells us a lot about where we are emotionally. At the same time, it's just our breath, right? It's, it just has to happen in order for us to function. So it's really just our breath. It's our breath. It's there. Um, so that's why we focus on our breath. D do you have a question? Oh, sorry. I thought you were asking a question. It's fine to ask questions or make comments as well if you want as we go. Um, so as we focus on our breath, sometimes it's helpful to count. Um, it helps some of us focus on our breath. So you, you breathe in, you breathe out, one, breathe in, breathe out, two. Before you know it, a thought has entered your mind and distracted you, and you start going down that rabbit hole. You know, I need to buy milk tonight because it's Sunday night, and we don't have, and oh, and I probably should also get a, pack of cheese sticks for their lunches and, and then oh gosh it's been five minutes the bell already rang on my meditation app and so we get lost that's okay 
that's what happens. That's what our, our brain does, right? It thinks. We can't shut our brain off. That's a misconception. A lot of us come to meditation with this idea that we're going to turn our brains off and we're just going to sit there. But we can't do that. So stop trying to do that. But what we can do is bring our attention back to our breath. So what we do with discursive thinking is as our, our thinking begins to turn and thoughts come in, we just acknowledge the thought. That's a thought. And then bring our attention back to our breath. So sometimes our breathing, counting our breathing, starts to feel like a waltz. Right? One, two, three, distraction. One, two, three, distraction. That's OK. We're being gentle with ourselves. This is not easy. It's, it's very simple. The concept is very simple, but it's not easy. So we're going to practice now for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to invite you. I might do a little bit of gentle guided, guiding of this meditation. Um, but I will invite you, as you are focusing on your breath, allow, yourself to be, allow your breath to be natural. And as you focus on your breath, when a thought enters your mind, simply acknowledge that thought. It's okay. It's going gonna, it, it's gonna to happen. So just acknowledge it and let it be a reminder to bring your attention back to your breath. Does that make sense? All right. We're going to try that. For this practice of shamatha, calm abiding, we are going to allow our breath to be natural, not contrived. We're not controlling our breath, we are simply observing it, paying attention to our breath. you pay attention to your breath, it might be useful to count your breath. If it helps, use that. If you would like to try to visualize your breath, that's another good way to pay your attention your breath. And the way we do this is simple. As you breathe in, you can picture or imagine the air moving in through your nose to the back of your throat, into your lungs, expanding your lungs, and then coming back up through the back of your throat and out through your nose. You can visualize your breath moving through your body, and you can allow that to be the focus of your attention. As you continue to focus on your breath, 
it is very likely that discursive thinking has come into your mind. This is fine. You're not doing anything wrong. Simply acknowledge those thoughts and allow them to settle into the ground of your mind. Move out like clouds drifting through the sky and bring your attention back to your breath. Now that you have been focusing on your breath, remember that you are in your body. You are grounded in your body in a safe place. Perhaps you can even sense your limbs, your legs, your feet, your arms. Perhaps you can sense your chest and your diaphragm expanding as you breathe. Notice your body. Perhaps there's an itch or a bit of discomfort. Pay attention to it and be with that feeling for a moment. Maybe it'll go away on its own. And if it persists, attend to it and bring your attention back to your breath. gently bring your attention back into this room, into this circle and this group. Maybe wiggle your body a little bit, toes. And take a deep breath if that helps. Feels good. Here's another thing I learned from that, but I'll tell you in a minute. I'll let you settle in. 
How is that? Any, any thoughts or comments? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, I think a lot of us come with this idea that uh, meditation is a very militant sort of thing, right? It should hurt. Um, no, that's not. That's not very kind. Um, um, so yes, you know. But but the other thing we do is oftentimes it's just kind of it's a reaction. So our nose itches and we immediately scratch it, right? And what we're trying to hopefully begin to see as a fruit of our meditative practice is that we be begin to be more responsive and less reactive, right? So instead when it's of, totally silent, we can hear the divine speaking. Oh, I love that. When it's totally silent, we can hear the divine speaking. Mm. I just read a, I can't remember where it was, but you just reminded me of this that I read last week, and it said, Silence is God's favorite language, or something like that. I can't remember. I may be misquoting, but it was that's the gist. There's a lot that happens in silence. It's not always pleasant. Mm. Some people um, have a very hard time in silence. And for some people, engaging in these practices, starting out and kind of allowing their mind to settle, brings up a lot of anxiety. So you need to be attentive to that as well. It can happen. Uh, because for a lot of us, this is the first time we're, being, uh, we're sitting with our thoughts and sitting with our feelings and our emotions and allowing them to come up to the surface. And it can be, it can be painful. It can be difficult. Um, so we want to be attentive to that in the same way that we would be attentive to a niche or to a cramp. It's important. Yes. Help me, please, with the difference between responsive and reactive. Oh, yeah. Good question. The difference between responsive and reactive. So let's use the example of the itch, right? Um, if I start having an itch, a reaction is to scratch it without even having a second thought, right? But a more responsive approach would be to say, hmm, my nose is itching. That's an interesting feeling. I've never sat with an itch on my nose for this long. Maybe it'll go, oh, no, it's not going away. Okay, I'm going to scratch it. So that's a more responsive approach, right? And you start to see this. A lot of people who come to the Rime Center and start practicing for a while, then they like to share, you know, you know, I, I've noticed that when I drive now, um, I don't flip people off as often. <laughs> I'll just, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll cut me off and I'm like, well, maybe they're in a big hurry. It doesn't mean that happens all the time. Sometimes you just have to flip people off. <laughs> There is therapeutic power in cursing. Um, that's science as well. I love science. I love it when it validates my own prejudices as well. So yeah, does that help the difference between responsive and reactive? Um, so a lot of things happen when we start to practice. And this is the thing that we, why we say it's important to, to engage in this practice. One of the main reasons is we want to be more responsive and less reactive. 
We want to observe our relationship to our emotions and our feelings. In Buddhist practice, um, for some reason, Buddhism has this, uh, this semblance or aura of, you know, it's just very peaceful. Buddhists are so happy and peaceful all the time. It's like, so kumbaya. Um, and that's not true. In, in particularly in Vajrayana practice, which is the tradition that I belong to, we, we, are, we must be very present to our emotions, and that means all of them. So when we are angry, we have to be present to that anger. When we are afraid, um, when we are joyful, we start to develop a more uh, responsive relationship. We, ob we can observe those emotions rather than be completely taken over by them. That's the goal. Right. It doesn't happen immediately, and it doesn't mean it happens every time. Um, but eventually, you, you become a little bit more fluent in it, right? Um, I'm going to try to do a 5K this year for the first time ever. My 8-year-old has done a 5K, and I haven't yet, so I feel a little, a little bit of pressure. Um, and, um, you know, it's just like that, right? I can't sign up for a 5K and just go do it. I have to start working my way up to it. Um, and even if I've been you know, working on it for a week, it doesn't mean I'll be able to do it in a week, right? But maybe in a few months, I'll be able to jog a 5K. I don't know about running a 5K, but uh, at least not me. <laughs> but that's one of my goals, right? So same thing with meditative practice. As we start to develop this more responsive uh, relationship to our feelings and our emotions, um, Eventually, you know, we stop flipping everybody off on the road. We stop scratching every itch immediately. We think about it for a moment and say, where is this feeling coming from? I, I can tell that I am angry, and I'm not quite sure why I'm angry. Perhaps if I sit with it for a moment and, and try to figure out where it's coming from, I'll have a better outcome. We don't repress the anger. We don't repress those uncomfortable or, as we call them, afflictive emotions. Um, we work with them and through them. Yeah. So then that, that takes a more responsive approach. Any other thoughts or comments this week? Yes, back there. Um, one of the things that, that has helped my meditation practice is actually walking. Oh, yeah. Like in the loose park track. Mm -hmm. I walk that like at least three times a week. It makes a huge difference in how quiet my mind is. Yes. When you're walking, you're very much in your, in, in your body. That's a very embodied practice, right? And so you can do, uh, there's a form of walking meditation, um, particularly in the Zen tradition called Kin Hin. Um, and it's a very intentional way of walking. So you're paying attention to every step. And you're trying to really sense and feel um, your body moving through space and moving through time. And it's a very centering, um, very, um, it's a wonderful practice. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, yes? Um, what I've helped with meditation is um, nature is very calming. Mm -hmm. And also when it rains, mm. steady rhythm. Yes. Kind of like a drum. Yes. And just focusing on that steady rhythm I, I agree completely. Being outside, being in nature, if you can, uh, surrounded by trees and plants and uh, an open space, it's very conducive to, to calm abiding. Yeah. Yes. 
I'm, I'm a fan of because I talk very loud. <laughs> I would say I really like meditation because it really helps me because I realize that like sometimes when you're super busy, you just always reactionary because your mind just wanders on yes. places. And then it really just, it's like you shove your, emotion, your emotions all go in a box and you don't really mm-hmm. deal with them because you're like, you're trying to deal with all these other stuff. So to me, it's kind of like a distraction. So yeah, I've been doing meditation for about two years and that's what I realized about busyness is like, mm. it really it really causes you, you're not really showing your true emotions. Yes. When you think about it, when you really reflect on like, like how you, you it, it's kind of like when you do meditation, it kind of has, like, it kind of allows you to just reflect on like your day or just mm-hmm. reflect on like, what did you really feel? Because yeah. the reaction, that's how you felt. But when you really think about it, is that how you really felt? You mm. know, when you think about like, you could, like, so example could be like, you're really upset and you just cuss one out, but then you <laughs> think about it like five five hours later, then you really reflect on it, like I was really upset. I was just in that moment. I just felt like I was, you know. Yes. Like, Thank you for sharing really, that. Yeah, that's why I really love meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it that's wonderful. It should it should be restful and relaxing and yeah. Yes. I liked what you, the part you talked about. Um, <clears throat> if you're feeling all your feelings, like if you're angry or upset, a lot of times we, we take it out on little deep things and this isn't really what we're upset about. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the meditation would help me to like center what um, I'm upset about or distraught about instead of like, oh, being snappy here, here, here. And I just bring it in and be like, oh, this is really why you're upset. You need to yes. sit and feel it and then think about it because sometimes I personally don't um, honestly know sometimes exactly what made me mad or irritated me until I go back and think, oh, mm-hmm. this is what it was. But my spirit was irritated for about three hours. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, I was just irritated. Everybody, everything. <laughs> and I, I like that. I think yeah. that could be useful for me. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Sometimes that irritation can be a slow burn and before you know it. So yeah, this, this hopefully uh, engaging in this practice allows us to be able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and relate to our emotions and and understand them a little bit better. So I want to, I know that we're kind of running out of time a little bit, so I want to, uh, before I say a few last words, is there one more comment I thought I saw a hand? Yes. Is the source within that we heed uh, the same fire as the Christ Buddha fire? Oh, that's a great yeah. question. Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. But I think that um, that that is that could be possible, right? From a Buddhist perspective, we talk about um, reawakening our Buddha nature or uncovering our Buddha nature, um, and so it takes work, and you are doing the work of uncovering that. I imagine that from a Christian perspective, you would also be trying to get in touch with that inner spirit uh, or that Christ uh, life or light. Um, but I'm not quite sure how I would say that. Um, Same thing. Okay, great. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Meditation can be helpful so if like you are smitten or you are in a bad mood, mm-hmm. you're not taking that bad mood out on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when with meditation, you're like, okay, I am angry because of this, mm-hmm. and you're mindful of it. Okay, I'm going to try not to take that anger out. Yeah. On someone else who's yeah. not, you know, yeah. that they're innocent to that mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And again, with the caveat that um, anger should not be a bad word. Right, anger can be productive, um, 
if we are being wise with it, if we're being compassionate with it. That's what one of my teachers has really been emphasizing this, you know. Sometimes anger is very compassionate. It can be one of the most compassionate things you can do to, to sit with your anger and use it. But, but yes, then comes wisdom as well. Let's be how to be wise with that. So why do this, right? Especially why do this within the context of the work of justice, of the work of reconciliation. Um, and I come back to this idea of self-care. Now, here's another confession. I had self-care all wrong. Um, I thought that, you know, watching uh, fail videos on YouTube for an hour before falling asleep was self-care. <laughs> you know, it's good, it's unwinding, it's funny, and you know, it's, it gives me a good laugh. Um, and here's another thing that my teacher said, that's, you know, self-care is what you do, the work that you do to take care of yourself in order that you can go back to your community. You take yourself away from your community. You replenish, you revitalize, you re-energize, so you can then go back into your community and do the work that you're engaged in. That's self-care, right? Otherwise, it's self-indulgence. <laughs> Uh, if chocolate cake gets you back to your community, that's self-care too, right? <laughs> um, but self-care really is, the, it's that thing that enables us to reconnect, to reconnect, to be back in our community, to be ready, to be there for each other, to stand up for others, and to do the work of justice, of peace, of reconciliation. That's why we do this. That is what self-care is. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, practicing self-care allows us then to know what our boundaries are, to know how and when we feel safe and when we need to withdraw um, and when we can stand up and do more work. So I hope that, um, that this is useful and helpful. And if it's not, then just throw it away. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, maybe you walk out a little more relaxed. Um, but I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you tonight. Thank you so much, Nick and Wendy, um, and all of you and some of the people that I know that it's so good to see again. Uh, I feel very blessed to be with you here, and um, and I wish you happiness. So thank you. Do you speak at the Renee Center regularly? Yes. Do you run the whole thing? I don't run the whole thing, <laughs> and I don't want to. <laughs> I'm very happy like this. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>